but up until we start small groups, I've, I've kind of felt led by the Lord. Not kind of. I did feel, feel led. I always say kind of. My, my wife gets on to me all the time for that. She's like, no, it's not kind of. It is, you know. But it's just how I talk. So, so leave me alone. No, I'm just teasing. So, so we're diving into enemies of the heart. And I, as long as probably any of you have been in this church, you, you kind of recognize that God has laid uh, a certain calling on Jessica and I's life. And, and part of that, a major portion of that calling is to minister to the heart. And so that's kind of our wheelhouse. It's where we've served in ministry for, for years and years. But so I kind of cycle back to this every once in a while and we've been in a series where we've just been in the epistles of John and going verse by verse and working our way through that uh, and we finished up that kind of that epistles of John series and now I felt led by the Lord just to come cycle cycle back to the heart so would that be okay guys if we spend a few weeks kind of talking about the heart and uh, and maybe find some healing for some people that need it and it may not be anybody in this room although I would bet it probably is uh, but if it's nobody in this room, at least you have something to take with you that you're armed when you run into your next door neighbor who has issues of the heart uh, that need to be dealt with, right? Uh, it's probably somebody watching online, but that's okay. So part one of enemies of the heart tonight that I want to talk about is discouragement. Discouragement. How many of you know that discouragement can be a real enemy of your heart? Discouragement can, can attack you. It can do all kind of things to you. And we're going to kind of talk about that tonight, uh, of, about discouragement. But I'm going to read in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Uh, and then we're going to jump to 1 Kings. I'll just give you a little bit of background on, on where we're reading in Nehemiah. As Nehemiah came to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And he had a lot of men and families working with him. And they were working tirelessly. And they were, they were about halfway done at this point. They had built the wall up about halfway. Uh, but Israel had sat with broken walls and, and no residence and, and no power and no influence in the land for a long time up until this point. Uh, so how many of you know all the neighbors that were watching Nehemiah walk back into Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the walls? They weren't happy about it, right? They didn't want to see him rebuild the walls. And how many of you know that sometimes the enemy also isn't happy about you coming back around and rebuilding the walls of your own life, your own relationships, your own situations, right? Things that you're going through. When you step in and, and you decide, hey, today I'm going to let God come in and start to rebuild me, rebuild my heart, rebuild where I'm at. Uh, the enemy doesn't get excited about that. The enemy starts to probably talk smack and, and, and speak into your mind and your ears and, and tell you all kinds of negative things to try to keep you from, from succeeding in rebuilding the walls, right? So this is kind of where we're at with Nehemiah. And I said kind of like eight times. Would somebody smack me on the hand? This is where we're at in Nehemiah, chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, and I'm going to read this. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. How many of you know the enemy does not want you to close up your gaps, right? The enemy loves to be able to sneak into portions of your life. And when you, have, when you have openings in your wall, right, that uh, those are areas typically that we haven't given God full reign in, 
right? There are areas where maybe we've, we've given God reign in one area but not the other, so our, our walls or our defense has gaps in it, right? And the enemy loves to sneak into your life in the gaps. So when the enemy starts seeing you fill in those gaps, they get angry, and this is exactly where they were in the physical wall. The gaps were beginning to be closed, and they became very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Let's pray. Just open up the, the, the message tonight. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to just serve and be in this place. Lord, I pray over anybody in this room that might be dealing with discouragement, anybody in this room that struggles in this area. I pray tonight, Father, that through the reading of your word and through the message that you've given me, Father, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would be able to break that discouragement off their life. That, Father, that tonight would be a, a life-changing, click-factor message in their mind where they make a decision today, Father, to allow you to move in and clear out anything that's not of you. So, Father, I just declare that you, your, your blessing would be on this message, Lord, and, Father, that you would guard my lips, and, Father, that you would help me to speak uh, exactly what you would have me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Nehemiah, in this moment, and his crew started experiencing uh, discouragement. They had been working long hours. They had been uh, struggling and straining to build the wall. They had, they had been putting in all this effort and time and hours and energy. And how many of you know when you work a lot and you work a lot of hours and you're tired, that's the, that's the, the first thing that starts to go is your patience, right? Your patience starts to go. Other things start to go, like you, your, your willpower starts to go. Uh, when you're overly tired and you haven't Sabbathed properly and you haven't spent time with the Lord and you haven't done what you're supposed to do, then things in your life begin to be magnified, right? Issues that normally you could deal with, uh, you hear somebody said something about you and in the moment you'd be like, ah, it was just normal. You'd be like, ah, just blow it off. It's good. But when you're tired and you've been working long hours and you're stressed out already and you got all of this strain and pressure on you and then you hear that same thing, it can throw you into orbit, right? There, there's all kinds of things in our, in our lives that can, that can attack. So we've got to recognize that in this moment, Nehemiah's men were under physical strain, right? And then they began to come under attack. Right, and then they begin uh, to be discouraged. So in 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to talk about another story in the Bible that deals with discouragement, but discouragement in a different way because I want to specifically talk about two different types of discouragement tonight. And we're going to get to both of those. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, uh, I'll read it. It says, but he, and, and it's talking about, because we're jumping in in the middle of the story, I'm going to tell you, it's talking about Elijah. So, but he, Elijah himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life 
for I'm no better than my father's. Now, the interesting part of this is obviously Elijah, the prophet, is dealing with discouragement in this moment, right? He's obviously very discouraged to the point of, of suicide. He's discouraged to the point that he wants to die. He's discouraged to the point that he's asking God, you know, God, you just kill me, you know, so I don't have to do it. You just kill me, right? And he's very discouraged in, the, in this moment. But the, re- the weird thing about this story is that he finds himself discouraged after one of the greatest victories, Right, he had just had the greatest victory on the on the mountaintop. He had faced out, faced off. I think it's four hundred priests of Baal. He had faced all by himself, and guess what? God showed up on his behalf. Uh, God rang their bell. Uh, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was there. As a matter of fact, Elijah was even uh, talking smack about their God in the moment. While while he's doing what he's doing, he's asking he's asking them, oh, maybe Baal isn't even on the throne. Maybe he stepped off the path, which means maybe your God went to the bathroom. You know, maybe that's why he's not answering your cries and your calls and all of this. So he's he's even talking smack in the moment, right? And he's 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 got this just this enormous victory, and then God shows up in, in a huge a miraculous way and then he empowers Elijah uh, to slay all of the false prophets of Baal he slays them all and and he is the victor in the moment and then he hears a, a word that travels to him from the lips of his enemy from Jezebel and um, automatically he runs and automatically he falls into discouragement in that moment. How many of you know that the enemy will attack you when you're down, but the enemy will also attack you when you're up? Right? The enemy attack you when you're when you're down and out already, but the enemy will also attack you after your greatest victory. So there's been seasons and times in my life where Jessica and I, uh, there's one particular victory that's that's the, the, the core center of our marriage ministry and what we go through. And we had uh, seen God show up in such a miraculous way and just showed up in, 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 in the moment. It was like it was almost like that mountaintop experience with Elijah. It was in that moment where God just showed up in our lives and he healed it, man. And he healed our marriage and put us back together. And it was so awesome. And then almost immediately the next day, another rift in our family started. And it was a rift that was so large that it was, it was, it was, it was designed by the enemy to set Jessica and I back because we had just rebuilt our walls. Right? So, so when you are, are at a moment of your greatest victory, understand that that's another time that the enemy will try to attack you to bring discouragement on your life. Right, So in this moment, Elijah is dealing with deep discouragement, and it doesn't make any sense because he was, he was the victor. He slaughtered all of those priests but then ran on one word of Jezebel. So there's two types of discouragement that I want to talk about tonight. There's the natural discouragement and there's spiritual discouragement. So there's two different types of discouragement that we deal with as people. You have natural discouragement and you have spiritual discouragement. Natural discouragement is this. It's a result of natural circumstances or hardships. Right? Things are coming uh, against you in your life. You, you get up in the morning and you think it's going to be a great day and then you walk out and your Keurig coffee machine stopped working. Right? And you don't have any coffee in the house. Right. Or, or, or you and then right after that, you walk outside and you turn the key on your car and realize your battery's dead and you got to be at work in 15 minutes. Right. So so things like that happen in your life and they can bring natural discouragement. Now, sometimes that's a, that's a bad day. But sometimes we as people have bad weeks. 
Sometimes we deal with stuff after stuff after stuff for, for a couple of months. Sometimes you even have bad years, but it's all natural circumstances, things that just continuously pile up and keep coming your way, and you keep dealing with all of these different little things, and they just, they're, just, they're just continuously nagging at you and beating at you, and you just, you just can't seem to get away from it, and you begin to get discouraged, right? That's a natural discouragement. And then spiritual discouragement like Elijah is plain old a demonic attack. It's plain old a demonic attack that's coming against you. And in the moment, it makes no ordinary sense. Has anybody ever went from like just good as, can go, as, good as gold to all of a sudden, man, you're low as can be? Right? You went from, man, everything is great, and then you woke up the next morning and you hated life. Right? It, it just, anybody ever done that? It's like, that is a spiritual attack. It's a demonic attack, and it's, and it's something that comes against uh, uh, Christians on a regular basis. I, I, I've talked to dozens of Christians who have dealt with this. I've counseled them. It, it's affected marriages. I've done marriage counseling because of it. But spiritual attack makes no sense, right? Has anybody ever said to you, why are you so down? Like, what is, what is going on with you? And your only answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's a clue, right? If somebody asks you why you're down and you say, because my coffee maker broke and I got a flat tire on the way to work uh, and, you know, blah, 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 my, my kid flunked math, you know, whatever, whatever. If you've got all of these things you're throwing out there, that's a natural discouragement, right? Those are natural things that happen in your life to discourage you. Uh, but if you can't answer that and somebody asks you, why are you discouraged? Why are you so downtrodden? Why are you feeling this way? And you go, I don't know. That's a clue that it's a spiritual attack. That's a clue that it's a demonic attack. So in that point, if you can't pinpoint why it is that you feel the way you do, you got to start fighting that differently than you fight a natural discouragement. So there's, there's two, different, two different ways there. So understanding which type of discouragement you're dealing with is important, and both of them are handled differently. Both of those types of discouragement are handled in somewhat different ways. If you're deeply in the middle of discouragement, it might be important for you to talk it through with a friend. I mean, everybody in this room, and I, I preach on your circles uh, quite a bit over the last couple of years, but everybody in this room needs somebody in their three. They need, they need people that are in their three. They need, you need people that are in your 12. You need people that are in your 70. And you need people, then there's people that are in your 5,000. Right? But everybody in this room needs somebody in their three that they can call, they can ask for prayer, that they can meet with, that they can talk through a situation with. Because if you're in the, in the middle of deep discouragement, you're probably not going to figure it out on your own. And, and we'll kind of talk about that in a minute. But if you're in the middle of deep discouragement and you know you're discouraged but you don't know why, can I, can I tell you to get a hold of a prayer partner? Get a hold of a friend and begin to talk to them and begin to pray with them and begin to, to really flesh it out and let somebody on the outside looking in uh, pinpoint what's going on in your life, right, and, and give, it, give them an opportunity. So first of all is this, both types of discouragement cause disillusionment, both types. So if you're in natural discouragement or spiritual discouragement, both of them cause disillusionment. What's disillusionment? Thinking things are worse than they actually are. When you're in discouragement and, you, and something little happens, it feels like it's this big, right? Something, something, the tiniest thing could happen and it could throw you completely off track for the full day because you're already in discouragement. So disillusionment kicks in and you think that things that are really okay in your life are bad. 
So I've, I've talked to people who are, are in deep discouragement, and they think they got the worst marriage in the world. And really, their marriage isn't that bad, right? They're not dealing with, with as bad as they think they are, but really, they're in a deep discouragement, so they're in disillusionment. And when they're in disillusionment, they're seeing things differently than they actually are, right? And then be, uh, disillusionment causes disorientation. So you have discouragement, which comes into disillusionment, and then disillusionment causes disorientation. What's disorientation? Disorient, when, it, when you're in disorientation, it's an altered mental state or a state of confusion that you don't even realize you have. When you're disoriented, it's an, it's an altered mental state. It's a state of confusion. And when you're in that state of confusion, you don't even really realize that you have it. You can't even really tell. So Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Uh, why would scripture tell us not to lean on our own understanding? Because I believe uh, God has given us intelligence, correct? God has made some people smarter than others, amen, right? But I would say in this room, there's a really high level of intelligence, right? Prophet Tim is, is a doctor. Cheryl is, 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 a, is a professor, a psychologist, right? A psychologist, professor, teaches in colleges, missionary all over the world. You know, there's, 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 a, there's probably a high level of intelligence in this room. But yet the Bible says not to lean on your own understanding. I believe it says that because our own understanding, no matter how smart we are, can still be flawed. No matter how intelligent we are and no matter where we fall on the IQ uh, level or the IQ test, we, it, our own understanding can still be flawed. You know, one of the things, and I've, I've talked about this to you guys before, especially when we were talking about politics, uh, there was a study that said uh, that people who were extremely smart got the most basic of answers wrong if the, if the answer to the question was opposite of their political beliefs. So if the answer was, was opposite of their political beliefs, they got the, an, the answer wrong, right? Because they had a flawed understanding. And so they refused to get that answer right because it didn't match up with their own understanding, right? So, so that's, that's kind of funny in, in, a, in a funny way. But the truth it is that falls in our life all the time. We got this, these particular understandings and these particular ways that we think and feel, and then it skews stuff if we allow it, right? So, so no matter how intelligent you are, you deal with that. As a matter of fact, that study said that the more intelligent the person, the worse the answer they gave was because they knew uh, how to finagle around it to try to get the answer that they wanted that matched their belief system, right? Isn't that interesting? So, so we, we do that to ourselves. So scripture says don't lean on your, under, on your own understanding, but, but in all of your ways acknowledge God. And then he will make straight your paths. So what does that fall back to? It's what Pastor Steve preaches every Wednesday night, obedience. <laughs> At some point in every message, uh, we come into obedience, right? It's listening to the Lord and being obedient to his voice. It's not leaning on our own understanding, our own intelligence, our own pride, our own arrogance, but it's leaning on God and saying, God, I need you in every step of my life. And if I'm heading down the wrong path, Lord, just speak to me now. Tell me which way to go, and I'll be obedient to do it. And then when the Lord speaks to you, we, we are actually obedient and make that change. And when we do that, it makes straight our path, right? If you find yourself on a crooked path on a regular basis, check your level of obedience. Check your level of obedience and, and see if you're being obedient to the Lord. So in this area, how many of you know when you're disoriented, a friend can look like an enemy? 
when you're disoriented, dealing with discouragement, dealing with disillusionment, and then dealing with disorientation, a friend in your life can actually look like an enemy. You can look at somebody and, and they look like an enemy because you're disoriented. A disoriented boxer in a boxing ring is dangerous to the referee. Right? He better be quick, right? KO. Right? He better be fast. So, so a referee is, is in danger if there's a disoriented boxer and he's swinging in the ring. Right? Because he's not really uh, figuring out. A disoriented soldier uh, can cause a friendly fire case and take out his own uh, battalion. He can take out his own people. Right, a disorientation is something in our life. If if we're disoriented because of disillusionment, we can start fighting our own family and our own friends. So you find yourself in discouragement, and if you're not doing the steps and taking the steps to get out of discouragement, and you dig deeper, and you end up disillusioned, and then you're deeper, and you end up disoriented, uh, you could turn around and start to cause inflict harm on your own friends and family because you're disoriented, and you don't even realize it. You start viewing people who love you as enemies, right? So it's, it's something that we have to recognize and understand that's a danger of discouragement in our life. So if we don't recognize and realize who is for us, we can't recognize and realize who's against us. So it leaves us in a, in a sensitive state in our life. It leaves us in a dangerous position because you can't tell friend from foe. And that's where the enemy wants you guys. The enemy wants you disoriented. If he can disorient you, he can affect your life. If he can't get you discouraged in the first place, he can't get you disoriented, right? So we're all human, so there's, there's, a, there's a high chance that all of us will be discouraged at some point in our lives. But if we follow the steps and we begin to seek God immediately when we see the signs, immediately when we see the signs of discouragement, we start to seek God, it never gets to that point to where it starts to disrupt our life. Amen? So these are some things that discouragement tells us. Discouragement tells us that we're all alone, that nobody is for us, that nobody's with us. Discouragement tells us God doesn't care. Discouragement begins to speak into your situation and say, look, if God really cared about you, you wouldn't be in this situation. Discouragement starts to tell you lies. It tells you God doesn't care. Discouragement tells us that we're not worth the effort. Discouragement and fear are brothers. So when you begin to feel discouragement, the next feeling you're going to start to feel is fear. And you start to feel worried, right? So, so these are ten consequences of discouragement. Number one, discouragement makes you avoid even the things God has planned for you. Discouragement makes you so fearful that you won't take a step in the direction that you need to go because you're disoriented and you avoid even the things that God has laid out for you. That's something that discouragement does. Discouragement prevents your forward momentum. Discouragement keeps you locked in place so that you don't know where to go, make a change, make a move. Discouragement keeps you put so that you don't have any forward momentum moving forward. Uh, number three, discouragement causes you to fail to trust God. What happens when we don't trust people? We don't listen to them. If you don't trust somebody, you don't listen to them. So if you find yourself uh, hearing from God and disobeying, uh, you may be in some discouragement. That may be a sign that, you, that you're in discouragement. It also may be a sign that you're in sin. But that's a, that sin, sin can, can cause discouragement as well. So number four, discouragement breeds worry and anxiety. If you find yourself worrying all the time and in anxiety, check your heart for discouragement. 
See if discouragement might be the, the cause of that. Number five, discouragement breeds frustration. Frustration begins to arise in your life when you're dealing with discouragement. Number six, discouragement breeds hopelessness. That's why it's such a big tool of the enemy. If he can make you hopeless, like there's no hope, like nothing ever is ever going to change, nothing's ever going to get better in my life, he can keep you discouraged for a very long time. The one thing that breaks the yoke of discouragement is hope. And the number one thing to have hope in that breaks the yoke of discouragement is hope in Christ. You have hope in Jesus and hope in Christ to change the situation, then discouragement cannot have its hold on you. Discouragement can't keep you locked up if, it, if you have hope. Number seven, discouragement enslaves people, specifically spiritually discouraged people. It's, a, it's an enslaving, it's, it's, it's putting you in chains, right? That's an enslavement of people. Number eight, discouragement distorts the word of God and causes you to exclude yourself from it. It distorts the word of God, and if it can't distort the word of God, it will tell you that that does not apply to you. How many of you have ever been in a rough place and you're reading the scripture trying to get out of it and you read a scripture and go, well, that applied to my mama, but it didn't apply to me. That applies to so-and-so at church, but that doesn't apply to me, right? And we, in the song that, that Brad sang earlier, Reckless Love, you know, it talks about the, the reckless love of God. And when that song first came out, there was such a theological collision of people arguing over that song, right? People were fighting over the words of that song all over the internet. You have people saying that is absolutely just blasphemous to say that God's love is reckless. That's a blasphemous thing. God is never reckless. And, and it, it, they would say things like that. And then other people would say, no, God's love is totally reckless because I know because he loves me. Right? And, and people would, and they would clash like that. But the, the answer is that if you believe that God, that is a theologically wrong song and God's love is never reckless, it's because you believe that God can love you without being reckless. But if you know yourself and really know what you're capable of, you know it's reckless for God to entrust you and love you, right? So it's a, it's a good thing. So discouragement distorts the word of God, causes you to exclude yourself. Number nine, discouragement is contagious. The worst thing in the world is to get into a room full of discouraged people. Discouragement is contagious. If you're, if you, listen, if you end up in one of our small groups over the, over the next coming weeks and you, and you walk in there and it's like there's a heavy cloud over the room and everybody's discouraged, please let me know so I can split up that group. Please let me know so I can do something about it. Okay. Because don't, don't sit down and pull up a chair in a room full of discouraged people because before you leave there, you'll be discouraged. So if you find yourself easily discouraged, you better get some positive people around your life, man. You better find some people who are overly positive. You better find some people who are, who are so positive, it's like they're a little crazy, but, but you know, they're positive, right? You better find those people and get them around your life. So discouragement is always contagious. And number 10, discouragement always leads to fear. Discouragement always leads you to fear in your life. So, so when we feel discouraged, what do we do? Uh, first of all, discouragement loses its strength when you turn to God. When you turn to God, discouragement starts to loosen. When you turn to God and you begin to get real with him, discouragement starts to loosen. And if you're so deep in discouragement that you're disoriented, you need somebody in your life that can link arms with you and help you turn to God. That can link arms with you and pray you through the situation and begin to just be there with you. So why is that? Because turning to God renews hope, 
And hope is the antithesis to discouragement. Turning to God restores our hope. Hope is the arch enemy of discouragement. If discouragement is, 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 uh, is Thanos, hope is Thor. For you Marvel people in the room. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me take it on back for you if you're not, if you're not you know. Um, let's see, who was Superman's art? Luther, Luther, Lex Luther, thank you. So if discouragement is Lex Luther, hope is Superman, right? So, so you've got to understand that, that hope is the antithesis to discouragement. If you begin to turn to God and God begins to restore your hope and your hope begins to grow again, a discouragement can't stick around. Discouragement can't hang out with hope. They, they, don't, they don't click, Right? If they, if they were online dating, they would be two opposite spectrums, right? They would never be paired together by, by what's the online dating app, John? I know you know it. eHarmony, where you got married, you found your wife, right? So, so it, it, on, if, on eHarmony, if you had hope and discouragement, they would never end up in a date. They can't live together. They can't reside together. So if you find yourself dealing with discouragement a lot, you need to be pumping yourself full of hope. Right? There's, there's the old joke that as a pastor, I'm a hope dealer, and that's what I try to do. I will deal hope all day long, man. But I do it for free. Right? I will give you hope. And I am smoking my own stuff. <laughs> Prophet, will you rein me in, please? <laughs> I just took some of y'all back right there, didn't I? <laughs> so, so John 16.33 says this. I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. All right? So in that moment, take heart, have hope, because Christ overcomes all things. How many of you know that Jesus is greater than any situation that you're dealing with? Jesus is greater than any challenge that you face. Jesus is greater than any poor state of your heart. Jesus is greater than any situation that you face. And, and having hope and knowing that Jesus is greater uh, helps to, to stave off the things that would come and capture you and put you in chains. So you need to, need to know that. Uh, both Nehemiah and Elijah communed with God in their fear and discouragement, and God gave them both renewed hope and direction. Nehemiah secured the wall, encouraged the people, and continued to build, and he completed the job. Elijah anointed a king and enlisted a new prophet, Elisha, to follow him. He got renewed hope, renewed direction, and then what did he do? He trusted God, and he was obedient. God told him to do something. He trusted the word of God, and he went, and he was obedient to it. So in those moments, they, they begin to flow back in uh, from a moment of discouragement. When we go to the Lord, when we're dealing with discouragement, he renews our hope, he encourages us, and he gives us new direction. He renews your hope, he encourages you, and he gives you new direction. And then what do you have to do? Be obedient. You begin to follow that new direction. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, if you guys would... Uh, Follow along with me. I want to read this. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag 
attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Aenoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. You know that when your soul is grieved, that's another word for discouragement. When your soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I want you, if you you underline in your Bible and write in your Bible, if you don't, you should. Just underline that part right there and circle it so that when you come back to this later, you recognize that in a moment of discouragement, in a moment surrounded by people who were discouraged, in a moment of, of greatest pain, when they wept until they... How many of you have wept until you had no more tears to weep? I have. You wept until tears weren't even coming out anymore. That's, that's a moment of great pain, a moment of great discouragement. And in that moment, in those moments, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. If you go back to the original King James Version from the New King James Version, which I'm reading here, it says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened, he encouraged himself in God. And then in verse 7 it says this, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? What's he doing? He's looking for direction. He got renewed hope. He got encouragement from God. And now he's looking for direction direction shall I overtake them and he being God answered him pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all that is one of my my favorite scriptures that you shall do what the Lord says and if you do what the Lord says you shall recover all I, I, I think that's absolutely wonderful because that falls right in line with exactly what we were talking about tonight. When you find yourself discouraged at the point that of no return or at the point when you don't even know what you're going to do, you, you find God, you get alone with him. You begin to, to ask God for encouragement, for strength, and God begins to strengthen you and encourage you and build you up. And the next thing you do is you ask God for direction. And then when he speaks direction into your life, you be obedient to do it. Amen? So in this moment, we see this. Uh, there's three ways to deal with discouragement and test which discouragement you're, your discouragement you're dealing with. Number one, and these are, these are ways that you can do in the natural. Number one, get away from the problem for a bit. If you're, if you're dealing with discouragement here tonight, can I encourage you to find a way to get away from the problem for just a little bit? Get some, get some light in the dark. Get away from the problem for a minute. Take a walk. Clear your head, take a day off, hire a babysitter. Do something to get away for just a moment. Get away from the problem. Clear, clear, your, clear your heart. Go for a drive. Go sit under a broom tree. Whatever you, whatever you got to do, just get away from the problem for a moment. 
right? If you're Elijah, you may run about 60 miles an hour like a cheetah and cover 28 miles and sit down under a tree. I don't know, but if you're a runner, would do that thing, man. But if you're not, you know, take a drive. Whatever you got to do, get away from the problem for a little bit, right? Number two, this is what I want you to do. Tell God, I give up. What, Pastor Steve? Give up? No, I want you to tell God, I give up. Give up what? God, I give up control. God, I need you to intervene. God, I need you to take over. I give up trying to do it myself. Jesus, take the wheel. Who, who can sing that? I can't sing that. Can you sing it, Brad? No, so you can't either. In that moment, tell God, just take it over. Right? I give up control, Lord. I, I give it to you. Doing it God's way may require for you to take your hands off of the controls of your own life for a moment and say, Lord, have your way. And whatever you choose to do, I'll be obedient and follow. Right? Number three, then begin to pray, which is have a conversation with God about his vision and his truth for your life. What does this look like? Ask God to show you the truth, remove the disorientation, Remove the scales from your eyes, begin to show you the real issue so that you can deal with it, and then be quiet and listen. Receive from, how many of you know, to listen to God, you got to shut up thy moutheth. I'm saying it in King James Version because it sounds nicer. I don't know if that's how King James said it or not, <laughs> but it sounds good. Shut up thy mouth. So, so in that moment, be quiet. So that you can actually hear the voice of God speaking to you and listen. And then when he speaks to you and listens, what do you do? Be obedient. Begin to do what he calls you to do. If he asks you to get something out of your life that you don't want to get rid of, what do you do? Be obedient. If he asks you to give something up that you've worked really hard to get, what do you do? Be obedient. If he asks you to remove a person out of your life that is really horrible for you, but you really love being around them, what do you do? You remove that person from your life. We'd be obedient, right? Whatever the problem is, let's listen to the Lord. Let's hear the truth from him. Let's hear the directions from him. And then let's be obedient in what he does so that we can recover all, so that we can finish well, right? So, so natural discouragement comes uh, on by seasons that we go through. And we've kind of covered that and talked about that. But your circumstances can attract natural discouragement. So the things, money problems, relationship problems, cars break down, lose a job, get laid off. But spiritual discouragement comes by the assault of the enemy, what we discussed. And why is that? Because he hates your destiny. He hates your current victory. He hates your family. He hates your marriage. He hates your kids. Spiritual discouragement can come when you're feeling great, riding high, and all of a sudden it comes. So if you have natural discouragement, God can give you some direction. You can flow through that, begin to be obedient to put the pieces back together so that you can get past, you can get that flat tire fixed. You can, you can get that Keurig cleaned out so it works again. You can, you can do the things to, to take the steps to repair the things that are falling apart in your life. Right? You can see those steps. But when you're dealing with spiritual discouragement, cleaning your coffee maker ain't going to help. Right? When you're dealing with spiritual discouragement, there's not really uh, any natural steps that we can take to fix that. That's why spiritual warfare has to come into place. So when you're dealing with spiritual discouragement, the way that you deal with it is spiritual warfare. 
So spiritual discouragement requires spiritual warfare. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love. Some verses say a sound mind. Some versions say and self-control. But God did not give us a spirit of fear. Right? So we begin to proclaim scripture, begin to speak scripture over our lives. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Ephesians 6.22 says, For we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if we, if we don't fight against flesh and blood, and we're not fighting against things of the natural, we have to fight in a spiritual way. Spiritual warfare and, and spending time in spiritual warfare is a little different from popcorn praying. Right? It's a little different. Uh, sometimes you need to really push through in spiritual warfare. Sometimes you need to get alone and get by yourself and begin to go to war, right? You need to get militant. If you or somebody in your household is dealing with deep discouragement, you need to get militant. You need to get strong. Uh, we, when, I t when I've taught in the past about taking your thoughts captive, man, I've compared it to, to Jack Bauer from 24, you know, when he, when he captured the enemy, he tied him up in a chair and interrogated him. And he, he wanted to know one thing. Who sent you? So when you can't recognize your enemy, when a thought comes into your mind and it's a destructive thought. And you, you can tell it's a destructive thought. You tie that thought to a chair and you interrogate it. You stick a gun in its face and you ask it, who sent you? Were you sent by God or were you sent by the devil or were you sent by me? Who sent you? And you begin to interrogate every thought and take captive every thought and cast out every thought that's not of God. And as you continually cast out every thought that's not of God, you begin to clear space in your mind for God to actually speak to you. And then your mind settles down, your mind quiets, and you begin to hear the voice of the Lord so that he can do what? Three things. He can renew your hope. He can encourage you. And then he can give you direction for the next step. And that's how you start with spiritual warfare. All right. Would you stand with me tonight, church?